0: Welcome back to the Meniere's Muse Podcast, a place where fellow vestibular warriors on various journeys share their struggles, obstacles they've overcome, and ones they continue to live with. Through their stories, we found inspiration and motivation to live our best lives around these symptoms. I'm your host, Heather Davies. As I learned to navigate my vestibular world and live my best life, I wanted to make sure you know you are not alone. Welcome to the show, everyone. I wanted to have today's guest on for quite some time. His message is unique and raw, and many of you may have heard his story, or at the very least, his mission. If not, let me tell you a little bit about Steve Schwer. Steve's life as a heavy equipment operator and professional musician came to a screeching halt when he began experiencing tinnitus in 2011, and he was diagnosed with Meniere's in 2012. He had no idea it was the beginning of a new life. A life that is now disabling on many levels. The onset of chronic dizziness, vertigo, nausea, hyperacusis, nystagmus, loss of balance, and the emotional roller coaster that left him lost in a world of vestibular disorders. Three years ago, he decided to fight back in a way that captured the attention of many. He created On the Vertigo, a nonprofit to raise awareness and funds for research. This has included two 1,400-mile bike rides, successful golf outings for research, and many other projects to raise awareness. He even co-authored a book, On the Vertigo, with his brother Dave. He was a cast member on the docuseries, The Life Rebalanced Chronicles, sponsored by Vita and produced by Unfixed Media. On top of all this, he also has a podcast called On the Vertigo Show, co-hosted with Adrian Smith and produced by his brother Dave. His biggest loss over these years was his love of music and being able to play with his condition. He's learning to love his passion again. Today he shares his true self in this interview and I instantly felt a connection with him and I hope you do too. His book on the vertigo chronicles the first of two 1400 mile bike rides he took on his e-bike. I couldn't put his book down, it was riveting. I found myself crying, cheering him on, and I felt so much of what he shared deeply. His Maneer's monster is real, and even though it attacked many times during his ride, it didn't stop him from embracing this very personal challenge he'll share with you today. I hope you enjoy this conversation as much as I did. Thank you for being here. Please welcome Steve. So, cool. Well, thank you so much for being here, Steve. I appreciate it. And um, I wanted, if you could start off by telling... Um, Tell me a little bit about how your vestibular journey started.
1: Uh it's it probably started way before I thought it did because once I got diagnosed I could kind of look back in the past and be like, "Oh, there was a day I felt like I had the flu, but it was probably a mild vertigo attack." Right. Like years before, like I'm talking in my 20s and early 30s, but when I turned 45, which is the average age for Meniere's to hit people, is when I had the ringing start in my ear and uh like i say in my book i was at a at a a friend's birthday party and my ear just started my left ear just started ringing like crazy like so loud out of nowhere and i thought it was just a one-off thing and uh it rang for about a year and that's all i had so i went to my doctors and they're just like well you just have tinnitus and it'll probably never go away and it was torturous And one of my specialists I went to, which I went to many to figure out my diagnosis said, well, you know, at least it's not progressing to the point where you're getting vertigo and dizziness and balance issues and stuff. And I'm like, what? (laughs) And sure enough, a year later, after my ears started ringing, all that stuff came crashing in all at once. And then I went to a different specialist and a different specialist and ended up being diagnosed with Meniere's disease. That's, so great. That, that's how it began. It began with the ringing for about a year and that's all I had. That was my only symptom. And, and uh, I know yeah. you're
0: a musician. Did you have any of the tinnitus before with with anything with any um, did you experience that at all?
1: Not at all. Not at all. I know there's like many famous musicians Pete Townsend of The Who, one of my idols. You know he's said he's lived with tinnitus for most of his you know music musical career but when I went you know one of the first questions I asked my doctors was did I do this to myself because of being a musician and he's like no because I can look in your ear and there's no damage to your eardrum <clears throat> which usually musicians that ruin their hearing there's usually damage on the in the outer ear mm. where I had no damage in my outer ear; it was all my inner ear. So he said, "No, it wasn't the music that that created this issue. It's it's something bigger. It's something more." And of course, right. having the ears, you learn that there's no co- nobody really knows the exact cause. Everybody has their theories, right? And but <clears throat> I quit chasing that that rabbit hole a long time ago, you know. So, but yeah, yeah no, no tinnitus when I was playing on stage with speakers around and loud noise and loud bars and stuff like that and loud concert halls nothing and this
0: did put a damper on all that right
1: yeah and the tinnitus I could actually after a year I learned to live with but when the other symptoms came in like the hypercosis in my good ear stuff like that that's when my music really suffered because I just couldn't hear the music the way I wanted to I didn't hear it in stereo. I didn't hear, you know, my left ear is almost deaf and my right ear had hypercosis, has hypercosis, so everything's tinny sounding. So I lost that stereo hearing that you hear in a car or at home when you turn your radio up, you 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 get enveloped by the music. Where it felt like I was listening to it through an AM radio, you know, my dad's Chevelle when we were little, you know, the little teeny speakers that were tinny and AM radio. Like that's how hear music now. So it just got really discouraging and I, I just, I gave it up. I quit listening to music. I quit playing music. Um, it just felt like that part was amputated from me and I just couldn't emotionally keep pursuing that at that time. Right. You know, I, got, I gave up, you know, I basically threw in the towel and said, I'm done with music. And of course that was a crushing blow.
0: Yeah, but fast forward, you have started to tinker back with it?
1: I have, I have. Um, about three months ago, Veda contacted me along with Unfixed Media, and they wanted me to do a little short, like a four-minute short video about my loss of music and what that meant. I don't know if you've seen that or not. I
0: haven't. I'll have to find it
1: for sure. Yeah, it's really good. I'll, I'll text it to you later. Or okay. Okay. They had me do a short about about my musical journey and stuff with having veneers, and they connected me with a couple of musicians that wanted to contact me and ask me questions and and meet up, you know, on Facetime and stuff and just talk about it. And after doing the short, when I rewatched it, it just kind of stirred it in me that you know this is too important to just mm-hmm. let in the shelf. You know, I have to try to get back into it somehow. So. I'm a bass player. So I, I took my bass out and started playing a little bit and it was difficult. It was really hard to do. It was hard to hear the way it sounded. I yeah. felt like I was playing things right, but it didn't sound like I was. And so the, the mental, the mental stuff around it was the hardest part. It wasn't the physical act of playing the music. It was hearing it right and understanding and feeling like I can do it again and so I'm messing with that and then a neighbor of mine who plays the guitar I asked him if he wanted to play with me sometime just to see what it would be like to play with another person because your timing you know you have to be in the pocket you have to feel each other and and I was like I don't I don't know if I can do this or not but would you be willing to try it with me and he's like yeah he uh He came down with severe diabetes, and so he gave up his music for over 10 years, just like I did. So we kind of both jumped back in together and did a couple open mics, and it went really well. And I'm starting to find that even though I don't hear it the same way, I'm finding a love for it again. And that's been really special. So it's just going uphill from here now. So I've been playing out quite a bit lately. And we're getting some paid gigs now. So I'm going to try I
0: love that story.
1: How's, yeah. that, how's that
0: making you feel?
1: Uh, scared to death. Yeah. I'm nervous. It's exhausting. It's, it's. You, when you're doing something you love and getting paid for it, it's not a job. You know, right. when that's what I've always heard advice mm-hmm. from. Was, hey, if you can find a job that you love to do. Then it won't be like you're working. It's just you're doing something you love and getting paid for it. And that's what I used to do. It was easy. It was who I was. It was something that came naturally. Where now, it's more of. It takes a lot more effort, and it takes a lot out of me. So you know, I'll play for a couple hours, and and I have to rest after that. I have to just lay down and rest because it just the the amount of mental energy it takes to do it now is is it's all different
0: it' it's exhausting.
1: That's the scary part. But the exciting part is that I am trying to push myself to do it. And that's what matters.
0: Absolutely. And I know there was a, a long period of time where you were kind of stagnant.
1: Right? Yes. Can yes. you
0: backtrack and tell us about that and what motivated you to, um, well, the book tells everything, to take that huge journey and that leap of faith um, to bicycle 1400 miles
1: yeah yeah to backtrack when I was diagnosed and my ear started ringing in 2011 and that whole year went through that then I got diagnosed in 2012 officially with Meniere's disease which I had to research and discover what that is the for man eight nine years I was just in a cave by myself you know of course I have I have a wife and I have a a, he was he was 12 when I was diagnosed but I really went to some dark places and I just didn't know what to do um I lost jobs because of my condition um I had to take lower paying jobs that paid less in order for me to continue to work, but I kept trying to fight it till the point where my doctor's like, your quality of life is going to just continue to go downhill unless you can just take care of yourself and make that your main focus. So yeah, that was a crushing blow. And that was about five years in to my journey. So I worked for five years after my, after my diagnosis, but then for four or five years, I, I was just lost. I was just floating and and alone and scared and i just crawled into a hole and i got to a point where it was so bad i was like i have to do something to jump myself again so the bike ride was not it wasn't something that i came up with that i was like i'm gonna go out and be known by people and I'm going to write a book about this and I'm going to start a podcast and I'm going to start a nonprofit. The bike ride was just a thing that I chose to do because I figured it. I've lost music. I've lost work and everything, but what, uh, what I have now is time. You know, I have all the time in the world to do whatever I want to do if I want to do it. And if I can do it Right. and uh, what would be a challenging thing to do. So that's where the bike ride came into my mind. And I was like, if I do this, I'm doing it for myself. I'm gonna do it to prove to myself that I'm not with nothing left left inside of me. Right. And so that's when I called my brother Dave and and we started brainstorming and came up, you know. I was like, I want to do this bike ride. And he's like, Well, first of all, you're crazy. And second of <laughs> all, you're probably gonna kill yourself. But I was determined to give it a shot. And so it didn't start out as as big as it's become, it started out as a very small thing, but at the same time, I knew there was a lot of people with Meniere's disease that would probably follow it if I posted on social media. So I'll just do this for myself, but I will post what I go through because when you go to a lot of Meniere sites or vestibular support groups or support groups for cancer or whatever your chronic illness is, it's, it's either people complaining hugely about how bad their life is or everything's happy and here's how to fix yourself. And all I wanted to do was present myself as a real person with a real chronic illness, doing something very real and make it real and come across real and not hide behind the, the triumphs and and try to make myself look good. I, I wanted people to see how hard this was every single It was single raw.
0: Day. It was very raw and vulnerable. And I found myself crying in different parts of the book because I really, oh, look at me. I'm, I easily cry <laughs> <laughs> during the book as well as during the YouTube um, series. And the support from your family. When I read, I'm going to read you a little clip from your book but I love how your family supported you when you went to them with the idea of writing 1400 miles I mean even your nephew when he yeah. when you asked him his opinion and he it was just fantastic he said I guess what really matters is if he meaning you thinks he can make it if he thinks he can make it then sure why not and then your dad I think he can do it I that is amazing to have that kind of support knowing where you've been and in that darkness and how heavy Meniere's is weighing on you.
1: Yeah. Yeah. That was, that was great. It's I'm very, very lucky. I have a super supportive wife. Um, my son's very supportive and then my extended family is very supportive. And my nephew was, has been great. Actually, he still helps me with some stuff with on the vertigo. Of course, my brother, Dave is still, you know, neck deep in it with me, Mm -hmm. but, My biggest fan was my dad, I think. And he had a stroke last year. And so he has become debilitated. And he was very active, very healthy. He's 79 years old. And he still was he up until a year ago, he was still like repping youth basketball games and 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 co ed softball games. And he was he's running around a basketball court blowing a whistle. Like he's always been my my vision of when you're almost 80, he's still out there yeah. being very active and healthy and the stroke just knocked him to the curb. So we've had a lot of great talks in the last year because he knows what I went through. So he's come to me now with, you know, how do I deal with losing all this stuff? And so it's made us even closer. It's, it's bonded us through through our debilitating conditions that we live with. But, but he right off the bat, it's like, yeah, go for it. He, he just was like, I think you can do this. And I'm there every step of the way. And of course my mom was very supportive and, and, right. it, and so it, it's, it was, it kind of gave them a chance to, to vicariously see what I could do. And I think they were all rooting for me, whether they all believed in me, I don't know. <laughs> right. <laughs> but. You know, I proved everybody that I proved to everybody I could do it.
0: Yeah. You wrote about the darkness and the alone morning, early morning hours. Yeah. Uh, and I know that those early morning hours when I was alone with my thoughts was, and the rest of the world slept were the toughest. So I'm just wondering how you went from that darkness to being able to push yourself through to get on that bike, to ride that first hundred miles. I mean... There's got to be a mental shift somewhere, you know?
1: That that was the biggest challenge was the very first day. You know, it was like, can I do this, you know? And knowing what I was going to put my my body through with, with my symptoms, which is the whole list of Meniere's symptoms. We don't have to get into that if you don't right? want to. We all know them if you have Meniere's or have heard of it. But it... I don't know. I'm just I'm a very competitive person. I'm a very, I don't like to lose. I don't like to be look at myself and think that I'm weak. And, you know, at my very weakest is when I decided to do the ride. Because I was like, if I get, if I mentally go more down this rabbit hole, I may never come back. So that's why I decided to do that. And the 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 thing that's odd to me is people think that now I'm in a great place because I've done these things. I'm not. Two nights ago, I didn't sleep all night and I call it the witching hours, you know, between two and five in the morning where I just get out of bed, come out to my front room on the couch and I just lay here and just watch TV at night and it's miserable. I'm still, that's the thing with it being chronic and it being invisible is that people don't See that I'm still suffering through my symptoms on a daily basis. Right. You know, people, oh, there's Steve from On the Vertigo, who's done two bike rides, wrote a book, started a nonprofit. He's 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 figured it out. I have not figured it out, and I, I probably never will, because most of the days I'm still miserable. You know.
0: Yeah, I think that's the biggest um, misconception is because <clears throat> because we're present and doing things out there. And this is what people see, me and you. Yeah. They think this is our life and they um, except with your videos and how raw they were and how you were showing that true emotion, it really reminds people that we're still there. I mean, I have symptoms daily. It's just I've adapted. Yes.
1: And- yeah, and I think that's the thing that that took the the eight years of doing nothing was me learning how to be dizzy every day. <laughs> Mm -hmm. and not want to eat because certain foods might, you know, you, I went down to a zero diet of nothing but white rice, you know, and then started from there. And then I'd have a vertigo attack. And then you drive yourself crazy trying to figure out what was it? What did that? What did that? And it got to the point where I was like, I can't figure it out. So I just need to live with this the way it is. Mm -hmm. So, but once I got through learning how to just live sick, Physically, mm-hmm. I think that now my biggest battle is the emotional stuff and the fatigue and the exhaustion and the brain fog and the lack of concentration. Th- those are the things now that are challenged me the most, you know, feeling like I'm not worth, worth anything, you know, feeling unworthy, feeling like a burden on my family, you know, like those you struggle with that. Yeah. Those feelings that are are the the intangibles you know i'm laying on the bathroom floor and i'm crapping myself and throwing up because i'm spinning and dizzy and i'm car sick yeah yeah, that guy is really sick he's in a bad spot but the next day i might be feeling physically better but emotionally that doesn't go away that feeling that i'm still a burden is always on that's the monkey on my back that I struggle with every day more than the physical stuff. Right.
0: Yeah. That's a, that's a tough one because there's a lot of, um, there was a lot of mental work. I know that, I mean, I never, I never meditated or did yoga prior to Meniere's disease. I know that it was one of the things that helped me do my soul work uh, inside Because Mm -hmm. I know that I had to get, um, I had to do a lot of inner work to be where I am. And I still backslide. Yeah. You know, as we all do with our symptoms. But um, it's a continuous thing. We have to be up on it all the time or we backslide. So I... It
1: it never goes away. You know, you wake up in the morning and the first thing you think is, I have Meniere's disease and I'm dizzy, you know, and I'm nauseous. And that starts the second I wake up. then... I hear my ear ringing, and there's just constant reminders that all day that I am not healthy. You know, this is a debilitating chronic illness that people just don't see and they don't understand. So, when you are by yourself in your soul place, Mm -hmm. you know, to be able to tell yourself it's okay, you're okay, you know, you can make this, you're worth something. You know, if you can't get to the laundry today, it's okay. You know, I'm constantly having to tell myself that that where I'm at is a no case place to be right now, it, depending on how I feel. You have to just accept it. And that's it takes a lot of work. It takes a lot of time to get to that spot where you feel like oh, I'm okay in whatever place I'm at right now. And I have to accept that that's okay.
0: Right. And it can shift at any moment and to be okay with that.
1: Yes. And yes. I,
0: um, I'm sure your wife is aware of when you start feeling poorly and yeah, uh, yeah that's she a, that's a big.
1: You e- yes. can look in, in my eyes and she'll just be like, you're not doing well today, are you? You know? And yeah, I'm not doing, you know, she can read my eyes very well. It's like crazy.
0: Mine the eyes too.
1: That's the first
0: thing that gives it away.
1: Yeah. And yeah, then my just, case. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I Something go in sloth
0: mode. <laughs> yeah. yeah definitely definitely now i know that you guys did some things down here in port charlotte uh, a golf tournament too and i missed it yes and are i'm you, down here in florida and i missed it
1: Yes.
0: Yeah. are you guys going to do that again
1: um i don't know if we'll be doing it at port charlotte but um i'm hoping to do another golf tournament eventually it takes a lot of work yeah um, it, it was a really really fun day for everyone and we raised over $6,000 in one day with a silent auction and donations and stuff like that and it, it was it was really fun but it was months of planning and yeah. over 8 or 10 people that pretty much we had the weekly meet to make sure everything was going to go smooth that day which it did but it, it it took a lot of work it it was probably harder to put that one golf tournament together than one than either of my bike trips
0: combined so you mentioned two trips you've taken another trip
1: yes i uh the september the first one was from denver to columbus ohio which is the one i wrote the book about right and then a year later in september i wanted to do another one so i went from denver to san francisco on my bike another 1400 miles and that's all, all the videos are posted. I didn't write anything about it, but the videos from that trip are there. And it's, it's, it's the same. It was the same thing. It was just Mm -hmm. raw, difficult. It was fantastic. It was everything you can imagine, you know, for a whole month, I'm living in a tent, you know, wherever I end up that day. And so that, that, that's the kind of adventure that I thrive on. I love that, but you know, you're out of your element. Sure. My safe place is my couch, you know, that's my <laughs> yeah. place, That's my cubby hole. That's my, my man cave. And on the trip, I just made the tent, my man cave. So that's where I, at night, like in the first book, I mentioned my tent quite a bit because it became my, my decompressing place where I could just, get in, yeah, get in there at the end of the day, tell everybody to go do what you need to do, but I just need to be here and get myself back to where I need to be to, to continue tomorrow. Right. So yeah, I think most people that I've talked to with Meneers have a safe place or a, or, or a chair or their bed or something where they feel safe and they can just kind of regain energy. And a lot of times, you know, I just need to rest my head. You know, as long as my head is resting still, mm-hmm. then my brain's not trying to figure out why I'm wobbly. And that's where a lot of my exhaustion comes from. So, you know, I, I take a lot of rests.
0: Good, 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 good. I know that was, that was a hard thing for me to learn because I always, I'm a military brat. So I grew up with you, um, you have to earn rest. Yeah. You know what I mean? And, and that was hard to break out of me. I still fall back to that a little bit. Like I need to do this, this, and this before I rest. Yeah, so that's really hard. But, um, but you got, you have to, or you're going to regret it
1: yeah and and for me i'm just i've always worked hard i worked hard jobs i work you know i'm blue collar to the core Drove so heavy equipment worked in warehouses you go in and you just punch it out for your eight hours and then you can go home yeah. you know and, and then you can reward yourself with a cold beer and yeah. a rep <laughs> now it's it's i have to make i need to make rest my first priority instead of my last priority. It's not a reward anymore, it's a a necessity.
0: Absolutely. I'm so glad you said that because it is. It's one of the biggest things that I have to allow myself to do.
1: Yeah. But you look lazy and you look unmotivated and you look depressed. And, you know, know, the people, my friends that come and hang out with me a lot of times, they'll come, Mm -hmm. you know, they understand what I go through, but Mm -hmm. to, you know, the, oh, how was your day? Well, I laid on my couch for seven hours, and you showed up, and I'm still laying on my couch, so that that's another part of the mental battle is you know, I don't want to look weak and I don't want to look like I can't do things, but I have to do this in order to get through my day right so no,
0: nope. yep, absolutely no that's a it's a tough one, especially when your friends don't get it, yeah when they see you um even if they see just a little bit of you having like a normal day or just going out yeah. to eat, or whatever. And then, and then you're down. It's, it's, it's hard. It's hard. I've lost a few friends because of that. They just I've don't lost, get
1: it. I've lost many.
0: Yeah. But you know what, what makes up for that are those friends that take time to learn about this mm-hmm. and they come back to me and they're like, how in the world are you doing this? How do you yeah. do this on a day-to-day basis?
1: Yeah. And, like my wife and my son, you know, they've seen me do this so long now that they just understand that this is what I need. And yeah. they're very understanding yet. I do have friends that, you know, I've lost a lot of friends that just gave up because they're just like, well, if I call him, he'll probably say yes. But then to, you know, I'll call him on a Tuesday, but by Friday, he'll be like, oh, I can't go out and I, I can't get off my couch. And yeah, that- it confuses them to the point where I think they just don't want to put that energy into me anymore, which is okay. Right.
0: Yeah. But then I
1: do have a handful of friends that do get it and they understand and they're very, very, they, they're they willing to put the energy into work around me. So, you know, instead of inviting me out to go out to a bar and listen to loud music and be in a loud environment, they'll come over and we'll build a fire in my fireplace and we'll just talk and I'll lay down and they get it, you know, and yeah. so I, I have, I'm closer, I have closer friends now, but they're not the ones I had 15 years ago. Right. So.
0: Yep. I get that completely. I also had where people stopped inviting me because of that. And I would find out about parties in there and I'd ask them about, are we, are we okay? <laughs> yeah, and they're yeah, like, yeah, yeah, we just figured you couldn't come. I'm like, oh no, please keep inviting me. I might show up I might surprise you one day just if I can I will if I can't I won't I have to be true to me yes so I still get the invites and on occasion I am able to uh, surprise them but and surprise myself but yeah. yeah it's it's tough yeah it's definitely tough what has living with the vestibular disorder taught you
1: oh my gosh
0: yeah it's a heavy loaded question
1: that's a very loaded question <laughs> um Okay, here's my answer in a nutshell. I think in my past life, before having veneers, I tried to be all things to all people. Mm-hmm. And I was a freezer and very outgoing, the life of the party. I wanted people to be like, there's fun Steve. There's Steve who can get up on stage and go crazy. And he's unembarrassed and he just lets it all hang out. Right. When this disease hit, I think the hardest thing was having that stripped away I learned that I have to love myself, whether I am doing something or not. If I'm laying on the couch for eight hours, that I'm still, I can still love myself for that. And that's what I say at the end of my book. You know, I learned to love myself because I had to find a new, I had to find a new identity instead of the fun-loving, outgoing st- that, that I was all the time, the hard worker, the, the party guy, you know, all of a sudden I'm um, a dis- disabled guy on my couch. So yeah. how do you love that? You know? And that, and that was the big transition for me was trying to figure out how to accept me for what I have now and what I have to offer now, because it's all different. It's all different. Music is coming back into my life is a little bit, and, but it's not going to be because I need accolades anymore or I need people to be saying, oh, that was awesome. It's more because it's, it's a part of my DNA. And it's, you know, I didn't choose to be a musician. I was born that way. It's in my, I just, I have to be a musician because it's a way I can be creative. And it's the way I can get myself out there, just like writing. Music and writing are the two things that, you know, I can vomit my emotions out. And I do it with right. music and writing. And so, but I've, the thing I learned is that I don't have to do those things. Now I can just, I don't have to do those things to feel worthy. Now right. I can do those things because I choose to do them because it's something that makes me who I am come out. And if people like it, they like it. And if they don't, that's okay. You yeah. know, I don't, I won't put that pressure on myself anymore.
0: Good. It's crazy how, how something like this can change your perspective like that. Yeah. And you said a, a very strong word there of worthiness prior mm-hmm. to Meniers, my work ethic and yeah. how much I could fill my schedule mm-hmm. would make me feel more worthy. And yeah. now- it's completely opposite rest comes first Mm -hmm. and everything else whatever fills that up fine but um yeah that's crazy how that changes
1: and and another thing I learned is you know everyone's selfish to a degree but I've always I always have tried to be a good friend and a good dad and a good husband and a good son and a good person but I have a lot more empathy for people outside of my circle now. If I see someone at the store, instead of judging them so quickly and being like, will you get your damn shopping cart out of my way," my first thought—that used to be my first thought—you mm-hmm. know—get away because you're slowing me down because I I need to get out of the store. Now right. I'll look at them and be like, "Well, maybe they are going through something terrible. Maybe yeah. they're in the middle of a divorce. Maybe they..." have a chronic illness that's invisible like I do maybe you know like my mind will go through a different checklist than it did before it's that you know? like crazy Yep. Yeah. in traffic instead of flipping people off <laughs> so you're them. more patient <laughs> yeah. it, it allowed me to be like well maybe they're on their way to the hospital because her wife's in the, in the passenger seat pregnant and she's had given to give, give birth in the car if they don't get to a hospital so it's like I've it, it's changed the way I view humanity as a whole because everyone's going through something Everyone. There's nobody out there that's happy, whether you're have multi billions of dollars or whether you're living as a homeless person, your life has issues and those issues are never easy to deal with. And so being crippled by mine has allowed me to give more people freedom to be themselves and, and understand, try to understand what they're going through. Right.
0: Yeah. I get that so much.
1: And on my bike trip, that was one of the things that that became very real to me, seeing new people every single day, you know, people coming up to me and, you know, what are you doing? Well, I'm riding my bike across the country. Oh, that's crazy, you know? And, and I would say, because I have this disease, explain it. And then they would, in turn, feel comfortable explaining their issues. And so I could listen to them. And I think people just want to be heard. Yeah, That's all, all it comes down to. People... Nobody can, nobody can fix me, but like, just talking to you and being heard is, is a way that's, it's healthy for me. So I think just listening to people and letting them tell me their stories, which once my bike ride was done and the book came out, I get emails and texts and messages all the time from people that just want to share their story. And I'm so okay with that. Never a burden. Right. I know you're super busy because you're Steve. You're doing this and that and you're all busy. But I I, I really wanted to tell you what I go through. And I tell them most of the time. This isn't what you read and what you see on my videos isn't what I do every single day. That's like an anomaly. You know, most of the time I'm not doing much at all, but taking care of myself. So I do have time for you. So tell me your story. Right. Yeah, I have a special treat for you because I knew that you wanted to talk about the book and stuff. So here you go.
0: Oh my gosh!
1: I was going to ask you about it. the infamous, That was so great. The infamous Night was... shirt. Your and flag. It, it, my flag, and it's still <laughs> a, it's still one of my biggest treasures. I would, if our house caught on fire, I would grab my wife, my son, my base, my Bible, and mm-hmm. this shirt. And that's all I would need.
0: Isn't that <laughs> crazy? The synchronicity. I mean, of you meeting him.
1: Uh, that was uh, such a. I was in a bad place that day. It was a very, very, very tough day with my symptoms. Um, and mentally, I was just right. really struggling that day. And uh, like a lot of things were going wrong. And and it's just really hard to troubleshoot when you have Meniere's disease because we don't multitask well in our head. Right. So like I can do one thing at a time, like, I can talk to you right now, but I'm not thinking about my bank account. I'm not thinking about a car payment. I'm not thinking about this weekend. I'm thinking about just talking to you because that's all I had the capacity to do. And right. that day, a lot of things were coming at me and I was overwhelmed. And that just meeting Josh that day just slowed everything down and reminded me what I was doing. Sorry.
0: No, you're fine. It's it's a great portion of the book. I felt every moment of it because it is so true with with this with these disorders um you, you can only focus on one thing at a time and if, if you get overwhelmed with everything coming at you and with something like that happening and he seemed like a very patient soul
1: oh he was he was brilliant brilliant just a very patient soul we talked for over an hour just standing on the sidewalk and Of course, my brother's crapping himself. Like, where is he? He was only five miles behind me. And that was one of the things that was special about the trip and the book also is the role that Dave played because he allowed me to do it the way I had to. And that was a a big learning curve for him, you know? And it's kind of like my wife, even now, there's still... it's it has to work around my disability right you know part of our marriage um this coming summer we'll be married 25 years but i've known her since she was 14 so wow. we know each other very well yet this has added a whole new aspect to how we live as a couple and raise our son And. You know, we're getting into I'm um, fifty-five now. You know, this is our son's twenty. He's almost gonna be out of the house soon. This is a time where we should be saying, now we're free, let's go do all the things that that make us happy. Yet yeah. I'm very limited now in what that is. So it's 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 difficult. And that's something that a lot of people don't realize. Let the me impact- let me
0: question you. Might be putting you on the spot here.
1: That's okay. I told you I'm up for anything.
0: All right. Well, what you just said to me was that you're limited to what you can do. Steve, do you realize that you rode 1,400 miles two times? Yeah. I gave my roller skates away and my high heels because (laughs) I can't, (laughs) because I can't, can't use them anymore. But what you did, what you did, you have empowered so many people with. Your story and sharing that. I don't. I don't think there's nothing you can't do.
1: I can't snowboard. <laughs> All right.
0: Well, that okay. Snowboarding might be a different thing, but,
1: but there's a lot of good So my wife snowboards three or four days a week, and she has to go alone. You know, and it, it breaks my heart. Yeah, because that's what he needs to do um, big hiking. Have you tried? I tried the first couple of years when I got diagnosed, and it, I was like, "I'm gonna, I'm just gonna, wreck. I'm gonna kill myself because I just, you know, one second I'm fine, and then my balance goes, and I don't know where I'm gonna end up. And if it's a tree at 30 miles an hour, I'm not yeah. gonna be. So there, there are things that I definitely like. Your rollerblades, you know, I had to give. I just had to give it up. Yeah. So yeah. and. You know, that's the kind of stuff that, that, you know, my wife has to do it alone now. And it's hard on her because she has to do, we used to do, you know, three night overnight camping tre- treks into the backcountry, go into the mountains for three three nights by ourselves and just hike to lakes and stuff like that. I can't do that. I can walk a, a mile or two right. on a trail if it's fairly flat, but I can't do some of the things that we used to do that really was a part of a big part of our marriage and who we are as a couple yet she's a she's a guitar player so she's a, a musician also so there are still things that we do share that that we can still do together but yeah. there, there's certain things that we can't so we've just had to rebox how we how we do things together
0: hey let me tell you i'm gonna put this out here right here on this live feed where do you guys live what can what's what State.
1: We live in Colorado.
0: All right. We are going to be coming through Colorado. I would say the end of summer going into September. We're going to be traveling. Okay. We're going camping. You and your wife and my husband and I are going camping. So put that down. I will be in touch. We're going to get you out there.
1: That would be, what part of Colorado are you coming to? We're up in the mountains, really close to Breckenridge and Vail. Like we're up in the ski resorts area.
0: We haven't made that plan yet, so we can adjust it. So there we're going to
1: so do it. here, There's so much good camping and we still camp, you know, we just car camp now and stuff like yeah. that. Yeah, we'll do it. All we'll right. It. I'm
0: serious. So serious. Well, let me see. I wanted to ask you a couple more things. Let me go back through my notes real quick. Oh, I do love in your book how Dave writes, like along with how you are writing, how the journey is going for you. I love how Dave narrates in there also, because it just, it just adds more emotion to it. And it's just, it's so real. I just, oh, I just, and I got chills.
1: It's very unique. I think, you know, love not it. to not to toot my own horn, but when I started mm-hmm. writing, I asked Dave, I'm like, would, would you, first of all, he's got a journalist degree. So he, he has written, he's been a journalist since his whole life. So he's a professional writer. I never mm-hmm. was. I to write. Um, I think I'm a good writer, but Dave's a great writer. But I said, if I write this book, I want you to read through it. And then if you would just insert where you think you should and where you think the where the, it would impact the people and he did such a good job. I didn't tell him what to write I didn't write we didn't write each other's parts at all we I wrote my part and he wrote his part but every time he sent me a segment and he's like I want I, I wrote this two pages and I want to put it here. when I read it I was like, oh my god, that's brilliant that's yeah. brilliant because it's it's so unique to like most travel books or adventure books where it's a one perspective through the whole thing where here right. you get the you get the the combating perspectives and and there's te- there was tension you know? yeah and you
0: guys were in sync with each other's energies too
1: yes no but yeah. there was also like this un like almost uncomfortable tension like that on the third day when I had my big breakdown, you know, like yeah. that was really difficult for him and the other guys on the trip also, but for him, especially because he felt so responsible to, to get me where I was supposed to be. And the way he wrote his perspective on that was just brilliant. Absolutely brilliant. He's such a good writer.
0: That's where you both are collectively together. It
1: works. Yeah.
0: I know you have a lot going on as far as where we can support you. I know you have your website, which I will leave everything in the um, notes, show notes. You have Facebook, Meneers on the Vertigo, Instagram. Is it also Meneers on the Vertigo or is it just on the Vertigo?
1: Okay. on, then, on the Vertigo. On the Vertigo. Facebook, the- I put Meneers before it. So that if someone Googled Meneers, it, I would come up in that category. Right, more of my just fun. Here's what our videos are,
0: um, and then your YouTube channel. It it is it on the vertigo Show or
1: is it the YouTube what channel is on the Vertigo? Okay, and uh, uh, the uh, my podcast is on the vertigo Show. Okay,
0: I will put all those, and the book, of course, is called "On the Vertigo: One Sick Man's Journey to Make a Difference." This chronicles your first cross-country trip.
1: Yep, and it can be found on Amazon.
0: Yeah, it's a great read. I read it a while back, but, and I didn't really understand all the YouTube stuff and the correlation until I reread it. And I'm like, wait a minute, this is all meshed together. And that's the way it should be read. Read it, yes. watch it, read it, watch it. <laughs>
1: yeah, you can follow the videos as you know, if we bring up like my breakdown video on day three was, it was, I still have a hard time watching that.
0: <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that's so a tough funny. one. Tell me, Steve, your that vertigo attack. I mean, it was filmed and it received over ten thousand views. Yes. I mean, like almost immediately.
1: Yeah.
0: How does that? What are your thoughts around that?
1: The first one is just embarrassment because <laughs> you don't want to be seen like that. Yeah. But being true to myself, I had to be true to myself, and mm-hmm. you know that's that the vertigo attack chapter is probably the most commented on when people talk to me about the book because they're like, you know, I experienced vertigo five years ago for like a half an hour and it was the most miserable half hour of my life. I can't believe you've done this hundreds of times, you know, like that has been probably the most impactful chapter is when I was riding my bike and had the vertigo attack. And it was hard to write. That was the hardest part to write because I wanted to write it in a way that made sense to someone that didn't have vertigo mm-hmm. but i also wanted people that like you and i that get vertigo to to be like yes that's that's a, a way to explain it because it's so hard to explain it how is. Awful it is, and you can't do it and i even say in the book i'm like i'm not even coming close to explaining what this is really like but i did my best that people would say wow that was really impactful you know
0: it was intense. But a lot of people don't get to see that part of it. Yeah. You know see the aftermath and the injuries of drop attacks and but mm-hmm. to actually witness that and to be there with you was just um, was pretty pretty awesome. I gotta yeah. thank you for putting it out there like that. It was crazy. So what is this new year? What do you have anything coming up in this new year?
1: Uh I don't have anything major planned right now. Dave and I have kind of st- taken a step back just to do stuff personally. And, and uh, for me just to kind of decompress. A friend of mine came over a couple nights ago and I ha- I haven't seen him since before the first trip. We've been good friends for a long time, but he moved away, but he was in town. He came over and we were just discussing stuff. And he's like, do you realize how much you've done in the last three years? He's like, you've done so much stuff and, and, it's, a, it's mind blowing to see the amount of things that you have put your time into and the, and all the things that you've done. And I, I didn't look at it that way till he said that. And I'm like, wow, I did. But like I said, the first trip was just for me and it just snowballed and snowballed into yeah. so much more. And, and I was on the life rebalanced Chronicles docu-series. Yes. Um,
0: that was so well done.
1: Yes, I will link yeah. that in
0: there in the notes also. Everyone needs to see that.
1: Yes. Yeah, that was a really cool project. So like just things snowballed that I didn't expect. So right now it's been three years. and I'm kind of taking a step back and I'm still posting some videos and updating what I'm doing with my music so that people that want to follow that can still follow that. Right. Another, another thing that I did that started last summer was trying to get more exposure outside of our Meniere's invisible kingdom. Mm -hmm. You know, we live in a a Meniere's world that's all of our own. Right. And, you know, people know me in this world, but I want Meniere's to to get more face time outside of our vestibular world. And so, yes, it's hard to do that. It's hard to bridge that gap being such a rare illness, but, I ended up sponsoring a good friend of mine who moved away. She moved to Milwaukee, her and her husband moved to Milwaukee and she got into doing triathlons. Yeah. And, and so we had race jerseys made up for and stuff like that. And, and so I'm, um, it's cool because now when she does her races, people will ask her what's on the vertigo. Cause it's on her Jersey. Right. And the big dizzy spiral on it. And then it gives her a chance to say, well, a friend of mine, I, you know, he sponsors you know, I race for him and his cause. And so she's sharing outside of our world into this triathlon world about that's near. fantastic. I'm just trying to think of ways to get outside of our little, you know, the bubble, <laughs> yeah. our bubble of, of sickness and misery and uh. spread the word outside of what we do in, in our podcasts that are mainly about what we deal with and stuff like that. So I'm always brainstorming on stuff like that, but that was my first step in jumping outside of the Meneers world. And she was super grateful to do it. And she was been awesome. So, you know, spon- I'll, I'll sponsor her again next summer for her triathlons and let her keep spreading the word. And That's fantastic. I'll come up with some other ideas on getting what we deal with outside of our world.
0: That's a, that's a great flip on it because it's true because we do, we, the people that, the majority of people that see us are sufferers, vestibular, vestibular disorders and mm-hmm. or family members and not much outside of there. It's very true. Yeah. I'll have to brainstorm too.
1: <laughs> I'm trying to build, figure out bridges that I can build that go outside. And I figured the first start would be with her. That's a, a great lab. idea.
0: That's yeah. fantastic. Well, is there anything else you want to share?
1: No, I think I've, I think it was a great time and I really, really appreciate you having me on and I love doing this kind of thing and I need you to come on my show now. No problem. (laughs) We'll talk about that later. Yeah. uh, Yeah. Go ahead and hit me with your whirlwind questions. I like that. All right.
0: Okay. Um, Fill in the blank. Vestibular disorders are?
1: Sucky. Sucky. They are. So I (laughs) guess
0: you feel your symptoms coming on and you're trying to be brave, but what's the first thing that Steve does?
1: I put on a smile and act like I'm fine. I do it all. I do it all the time. I'll probably do it sometime today. I'll be feeling really bad. And if someone calls me or someone comes over, or if I bump into someone, I will put on a smile and act like I'm fine and they don't understand. And it's just too much energy (laughs) in it all. So. That's yeah.
0: Have you, have you at any point gone through that little phase of being completely truthful? I know I did oh, that. Yeah. It's exhausting.
1: Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I do. I, you know, hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of times, but it just gets old after a while. And I, at, the, at this time, at this point in my journey with my disease, I think that the people that need to know enough about it and know enough about it by now, Right. And if I run into someone randomly and it's not about Meneers, like say, I just run into an old friend or something, right. I don't even be up anymore. I just put on a smile because it's just easier and it's fake, but you know, you can't go into a half an hour monologue every time. No, you No, it's, it's just, it's
0: exhausting. And sometimes you just like, God, I sound crazy. Yeah. That's the way yeah. I feel when I, when I'm telling these people that, yeah, I get that.
1: And I can see it in their face. They're like, oh, you look fine.
0: <laughs> right. Yeah. I like, know.
1: Uh, I'm all, I'm over that. Yeah. Dumb, I hear dumb, you. Dumb, I get man. that completely. Okay. What is
0: one thing um, people usually get wrong about you?
1: God, that's loaded. <laughs> uh, right now where I'm at in life, I think what people get wrong about me the most is that they think I'm healthier than I actually am. Yeah you know, I can tell them how bad I feel, but it's not, you know, or they see me doing bike rides and writing books and stuff. And they think that I'm at this level doing great when I'm not, Yeah, you know, that's what they get. And like I just said, for the last question, I'm just, it's, it's exhausting. So I'm just, I just let it be. I'm just okay.
0: I think I know the answer to this one. We're going to ask it anyway. Uh, What's your favorite meal?
1: My favorite meal? Yeah. Wow, that's not loaded at all. <laughs> so my, my son just brought me a piece of sausage, so that's what I'm nibbling on. Oh, my. I miss sausage. <laughs> he came behind the camera and slid it to me a minute ago. Um. <sighs> wow, that is tough.
0: I know. In your book, you mentioned hot, oh. <laughs> hot wings.
1: Hot um, wings. A nice beer. BW3's is my favorite restaurant.
0: Yeah.
1: I love hot wings. We got an air fryer, so I make hot wings like two or three times a week now. So I, I absolutely love hot wings. But I think hands down my favorite meal, it's kind of kooky, but just a good coney dog. A good hot dog oh, yeah. with chili on it and cheese and onions and stuff. That's <laughs> I, don't, I have no sweet tooth, so I don't eat any sweets. I just oh, that's eat. nice. That's not- candy, cakes, cookies, anything like that, and that that started when I was a young kid. I just never had a, so. For I have two brothers and a sister, so there was always a big birthday cake for birthdays. But for me, it was a birthday pizza because <laughs> I didn't like cake. So I either had cake, I either had a, a birthday pizza or a birthday conies. So it's, it was a probably pizza conies and hot wings.
0: Do you you find that uh, sodium impacts your uh, symptoms?
1: You know, at first it it was really worrisome for the first few years. i really watched my sodium. Like I said, I cut down to white rice and bland chicken was all I would eat for weeks. And then I would add little things in. Um, I watch my sodium, but I'm not fanatical about it anymore like I was before because I kind of know my limits now. Yeah. So instead of eating a whole bag of Ruffles chips, now I'll eat a handful, you know, like I've kind of, I've, I've learned that I can still enjoy the things that I, I thought was making me sick, but I just have to do it in lower doses. Right. And I'm, I'm okay with that now. I'm I'm so used to it, but no, I don't count my sodium during the day. I don't, I did for years and it just, I realized this is just going to drive me crazy. So now, you know, do I push it? I don't, I push it sometimes a little too much. I love Mexican food, love, oh, me to too. and it's very salty. So I just know that you know I might feel a little crappier the next day. But I, that's it's it's a it's a it's a give and take, you know. I don't at this point I feel crappy so much all the time that feeling a little bit more crappy because I had a really good Mexican meal at a restaurant. I'm okay with that now. So I'm I'm willing to kind of throw myself under the bus for for treating myself, but mexicans
0: mexicans my favorite and the problem with me going to mexican are the margaritas i have to have with my mexican for sure <laughs> so for sure. I, I don't get the salt on the rim but still the sweetness does the same thing so i'm like i might have to change the modello
1: <laughs> no same here i you know my wife and i go to there's a mexican restaurant in town that we go to for happy hours and they have like half off margaritas and i yeah. always get mine with no salt on the rim because that's just you know, and I, I don't add salt, table salt to anything. You right. Know. If it has sodium in it, then I just eat it. But I don't add salt like I used to. Yeah. But yeah. Margaritas are probably next to beer, my favorite. Yeah. Sure. And a good Bloody Mary if it's made right.
0: <laughs> right. <laughs> <laughs> what is the last show you binged and loved?
1: Oh, wow. That's a good question. Um. It's hard because I do that. I binge like shows a lot.
0: I know um, you love Big Bang. That's one of my favorites, too.
1: I've I've watched, I've seen every episode 10 times or more. That's my, if I'm feeling really, really bad, Um, I've seen them so many times, I don't have to watch it. So right. I put my, my earbud in yep. and just let, let the shows play. And I you just kind of zone out. Yeah. And I can just fill in everything that's going on because I've seen them so many times. So that's, yep. that's, that's my go-to binge is Big Bang Theory. That's my all-time favorite show. But I just recently, I found that with my memory being so crappy now that I can go back and binge stuff that I saw 10, 15 years ago, and it's all brand new. Oh. So what I did a couple of weeks ago is I went back and watched all the, the reruns from, or the, I binged the whole series of ER, which was great. Oh, did you? I went- yeah, I just I I like the medical shows. I like uh, the Good Doctor. I like uh, I love Grey's Anatomy.
0: Oh, I just binge Grey's Anatomy.
1: It's so good.
0: It, it is. is just, it's so crazy good.
1: <laughs> it, got, it, got, it got kind of lame the last couple seasons, but that when it was on, it was on. Yeah. But my favorite show, which is this, is going to be embarrassing to say, but my wife will kill me if I don't. <laughs> she makes I'm a huge Judge Judy fan. Are you really? Judge Judy every single day. I never miss it. I, That's it's like funny. My life, I plan my life around watching Judge <laughs> Judy, which people I, take for granted.
0: I would never have guessed that. I think it's just too much drama for me. <laughs> yeah.
1: Well, and one of my best friends, um, who I've known, we've raised our kids together. His name's Ed. He's a judge in our town. <laughs> And so he hates the fact that I love Judge Judy. He's like, that's crap. That's not even real. That's not real stuff. (laughs) I bring up Judge Judy every time I'm with him. I'm like, so, so he thinks I'm an idiot for liking Judge Judy. (laughs) That's so funny. That's my guilty pleasure is Judge Judy. And the Pitch Perfect, Pitch Perfect, first two Pitch Perfect movies. Oh, now like, you're I'm, really
0: throwing me for a loop. Are you serious?
1: <laughs> yeah. Like those are those are my guilty pleasures that I don't tell people, most That's people. funny. Like well, you
0: thing. just told the vestibular community.
1: <laughs> I, know, I know. That's okay, though. Yeah. See, I've, got, I've got a weird side to myself.
0: That's okay. <laughs> Nothing wrong with that. What is on your nightstand?
1: What's on the nightstand right now? Three bottles of meds that I take every day so I have three bottles of meds. I have a well I have like a a little placemat thing that says Glenfiddich on it from the whiskey because I got it on our honeymoon when we went to Scotland and we went to the Glenfiddich distillery and so it's like like a bar towel so that's (laughs) on on top of that is my meds um my reading glasses because I can't read without glasses anymore because my eyes are going bad um, what else is on there I try not to have a whole lot of stuff my earbuds um, my phone charger nothing, on, nothing out of the ordinary nothing too weird my nightstand really small okay so. that's a what's good question I-
0: <laughs> what's an activity that completely relaxes you golf does
1: it really? Do yeah, you that's play when,
0: did you play when you are in Port
1: Charlotte? I did. I played the day before, but the day of the tournament, I was doing, you know, a lot of networking with people and meet and greets and stuff. But, yeah, I did play around the day before. But um, I used to be – I played soccer in high school. I played baseball, basketball. I played – I was on swim. T- I, I was very, very, very athletic. And I still – before I got diagnosed – here in Colorado up until into my 40s I played on like adult soccer leagues and volleyball leagues and stuff like that um all that stuff went away when I lost my balance but golf is the one thing that I can still do without really torturing myself and making myself feel bad but i suck at it and you need good balance to be a good golfer. So I don't expect myself to be a good golfer. I don't practice. I don't go to the driving range, but that's the one sport, but I'm so competitive that I still go out and play whenever I can with my friends and my brothers. My brothers are both good golfers, but I still try to beat them so bad, but I never can because my balance <laughs> is so bad. But I will tell also- you,
0: I have a friend that has been years and she says golfing really helped her with her um her coordination and her balance so she makes a point of going out
1: so yeah I think it's kind of like riding my bike I I like to ride my bike a lot too you know I did on the trips and I'm not you know like I said in the (laughs) book I'm more an avid bicyclist but my wife and I both have e-bikes now so in in the summer now we can't but in the summer we go out almost every day and ride 25 miles or so there's a big lake that we ride around right by our house and it's 25 mile loop and so we do that we do that quite often you know and that relaxes me i put music on put my heavy metal on and and just get my own little world and and for some reason this i don't understand at all but when i'm riding my bike my balance feels really good i think it's because my when i walk my right and left legs kind of fight each other for balance mm-hmm. brains trying to figure out how to work it but when i ride my bike i think the reason i could do my trips is because when i'm riding i think since your feet are working in unison my brain accepts the fact that okay this is easy and it's it's i feel the most healthiest when i'm just riding my bike because for some reason my brain doesn't fight my balance when i ride my bike and so it allows my brain to feel relaxed so it almost it's a therapy almost that's
0: crazy we'd think it was the opposite
1: but you think it would be the opposite you I yeah. just run into it you know just, <laughs> just trees and bushes and cars and right
0: you know, like that's that. great
1: but it's the opposite it's like really it's the most normal i feel is when i'm riding my bike
0: well you got to keep it up then all right yeah. i have three more questions let's see what movie could you watch over and over and never tire of
1: die hard um Best Christmas movie. movie ever. <laughs> in my book. In my book. Um, yeah, that's that's the number one. I can just watch that over and over again. I love sports movies like you saw in the book. So like yeah. I watched, I love Moneyball with Brad Pitt. I've seen that many times. It's just a good movie. I yeah. love baseball movies, you know, Kevin cool. Costner. Stuff. Oh
0: yeah, and, Kevin Costner's the best in all those. Yeah, yeah. What is your most used tool out of your vestibular toolbox?
1: My pillow. Your pillow? Mm -hmm. Is that what you mean?
0: (laughs) Yeah. What is it that you use the most? I mean, some people use, you know, meditation, breath work, medication. Um, I use a, a warm sanded neck pillow over my eyes when I'm having an attack
1: for me it's a pillow in my blue hoodie i have a blue hoodie that that i wear i've i wore it every on um, i got it right before my first bike trip and i wore it every single day i slept in it i rode my bike in it when it was when i it was chilly it's it's i call it, it its name is linus because <laughs> it's, kind of like, it's like my security blanket right when i have it on i just feel it just makes me feel relaxed, and so it drives, I think it drives my wife crazy because I wear it like nonstop. I put a t-shirt on, then I put my hoodie on on top of it, and I wear it all the time, all day. And so my hoodie and my blanket and my pillow. Cool. My
0: I want your I want your your playlist. <laughs> I'm listening to all the music and the videos and in the book all your music. I'm like, oh, I want Steve's playlist. It's
1: all over the place. It is. All I sure. Over the
0: place. And that's why I love it. Cause it's a little rock, a little, it's everywhere.
1: <laughs> everywhere. I love eighties. I love, you know, Madonna. I, I mean, it's Madonna, Cyndi Lauper all the way up Metallica.
0: to. Metallica. Um, yeah.
1: It's everywhere. Um, um, I mean, I'm all over the map, you know, Great. any. my favorite genre is eighties hair metal. That's my first band I was in. It was a hair yeah. metal band in the eighties. And, and uh, I just love anything. Slaughter. Motley Crue, all those old headbanging, you know, yeah. just the 80s genre. Yes, my genre.
0: husband is a 80s big hair
1: rocker. <laughs> yeah, I, I was back in the day. I'll send you a picture.
0: Yeah, I'll have to send you his. It's pretty, it's like, woo. okay. I, I still love it. I still love it. And your last question today, Steve, is what is um, what are you extremely grateful for today?
1: My family. Um, oh God.
0: It's all right. Your family's pretty awesome.
1: About a month and a half ago when I started picking up music again. Yeah. I was plugging my bass in to my amp and playing and then I joined with my friend and started playing, but I was having a really hard time. And without me knowing it, my, my, my wife bought me an acoustic bass. So it's like an acoustic guitar, but it's a bass right. because it's softer sounding and it's not as hard on my hearing. And just the fact that she thought of that no. because she wants me to follow that passion. Yeah. And it was just such a cool thing for her to do to like think, like, think this might help him. Right. Doing this. So, yeah. That's it's
0: great fun. that she would know to do that. But she plays, right? Look at you. Got me going. Stop it. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah just,
1: she plays, was, right? Was, yeah. But super unexpected. And like the most thoughtful thing anybody's ever done. It's fantastic. So, All so reasons to say family, not just because it's the cliche answer. No, no, exactly. I
0: get that. You feel that in your book. And I, and I, watching your brother and you interact on um on video it's um you don't see a lot of that today and it's 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 awesome
1: yeah and our youngest brother brian played a big part too he's the one that actually came up with the name on the vertigo and he's artistic and so he he's the one that had the the mallory in the book he drove the the camper and stuff. So he actually has played a really big part. He just gets a little, very little credit. So oh. I wanted to put that out there.
0: Well, that's pretty awesome. Well, it's been so much fun, Steve. And um, I'm so glad we finally connected and I look forward to learning more about you and um, being on your show.
1: Yeah, for sure.
0: And uh, I, and I am serious about Colorado and camping. We'll just Don't have them. to figure it out <laughs> for sure. I will know. be in touch with that for sure
1: yeah for sure we're right in the middle of the state so wherever you want to go we'll meet you
0: awesome awesome thank you for joining me heather davies and my guest steve on this week's episode of Meneer's muse if you would like to reach out please see the show notes for steve's website podcast all about his book and how to find us on instagram If you would like more information on vestibular disorders, please visit Vestibular Disorders Association website at www.vestibular.org. I would like to say thank you for listening, and if you believe this episode may benefit another warrior, please feel free to share. Be sure to subscribe for updates, and I'll see you next week, warriors.